And so while the whole history of the church has had doctrinal controversy and confusion and conflict, at the end of time, God said it will be accentuated, it will be alive, it will be thriving like never before. And those are the days of Noah, and those are our days, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. In Noah's day, there were days of gross apostasy, days of godless anarchy, and days of great apathy. And this is exactly what we are seeing take place in the world today. Romans chapter 1 verse 24 says, Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he describes what a godless nation looks like and the consequences of a nation saying that they do not want God in their lives. Let's join Pastor Carl in Genesis chapter 6 as he continues. Some of you grew up in liturgical churches where the Apostles' Creed was repeated every week, where it says Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell and then on the third day was rose from the dead. He descended into hell for what purpose? To preach. Now, sadly, there were some Catholics who said he descended into hell to pay for sin. And so some Protestants, therefore, took that out of the Apostles' Creed. Because on the cross, he shouted, it is finished. The payment was done on the cross. But he descended into hell to preach to these angels, these spirits who are now in prison. Look at verse 20 of 1 Peter, or listen to it. Who once were disobedient, so he's giving us the time frame, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And so while angels cannot procreate with other angels, when in human form, they can and they did in Noah's day. And the offspring was a race of freaks, of monsters, mighty men, men of renown. At the most, they were half demon, half human. At the least, they were demon-possessed people, which might help explain the severity of the judgment that followed in that great worldwide flood. Satan was trying to cloud the human, uh, the true humanity of man in which God would bring the Savior of the world. And so there's an unparalleled evil that took place at this time in human history, and God said, I will not have it. I will wipe them off the face of the earth. But this breed of people, they were preaching evil, just like we studied last week, that in the end times there will be doctrines of demons. And so if the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah, and if the days of Noah were days of gross apostasy, is there any parallel? Well, if you were here last week, I preached a whole message from 1 Timothy 4.1. Let me read that verse to you and dust off your minds if you've forgotten it already. I hope you haven't. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, not last days, latter times, there's a difference. We underscore that. Some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Likewise, Jesus spoke of these days before his second coming. He said, and at that time, many will fall away and they will betray one another and hate one another. 
So as we think about apostasy, again, it's not atheism, it's not agnosticism or some other ism that you can think of. The term apostasy has a much more narrow definition in the New Testament. It doesn't just refer to false religion, it refers to someone who claims Christianity and either falls away from it and creates some new form of Christianity. That's, we have a plethora of that all across America, even under the banner of evangelicalism that does not represent true historical Christianity. So someone wrote me this week, and what's wrong with Joyce Meyer? I said, are you kidding me? I haven't responded yet. She's a nut. She's an apostate. She's a false teacher. But because people don't know their Bibles they cannot tell the difference. And then there are those who not just fall away, they totally renounce the Christian faith. So every apostate is an unbeliever, but not every unbeliever is an apostate. There are people who have never even heard the plan of salvation, and they're not falling away from the truth that they have not heard. So again, there's a narrow definition in the New Testament of what an apostate is. And both Jesus and the Apostle Paul describes people who are outwardly Christian, but inwardly still lost, and they turn away from the faith. And again, as the question came in on the Bible line on Tuesday, when someone falls away from the faith... He's not describing someone who is a Christian and then lost it. Again, the articular use of the word faith. Not just faith, but the faith. The faith, as Jude will say, delivered by the apostles once for all time. That body of truth we call Holy Scripture. He's not describing true Christians. He's describing pseudo-Christians because true Christians cannot lose something that is eternal. And so while the whole history of the church has had doctrinal controversy and confusion and conflict. At the end of time, God said it will be accentuated, it will be alive, it will be thriving like never before. And those are the days of Noah, and those are our days, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. So number one, there were days of gross apostasy. Number two, there were days of godless anarchy. There were days of godless anarchy. We read now in Genesis 6 and in verse 5, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. You see that word intent? It's the Hebrew word yester. And it is used uh, sometimes of imagination. In fact, I think the King James renders it that way, the imagination of man. And at its root, it means to shape, like a potter would shape something in his hand. What he's saying is there are were new philosophies, new ideas that were being spawned and molded by men. They were fashioning philosophies after wickedness, after perversion, after vice, after immorality. Hold your finger here. Turn to the book of Romans, would you? The book of Romans. Go to Romans chapter 1. Some of you I see don't even have a Bible in your hand. You need a Bible. You need a Bible. This is a Bible-believing church. I'm not here to empty my mind. I'm here to renew your mind with the truth of Holy Scripture. Romans chapter 1. Paul describes godless anarchy when God abandons a nation. And there are three sequential steps that everyone should know virtually by heart. 
And it's when God gives a nation, and in our day, it's not just a nation. He's giving a world over to these things. Uh, Notice he will describe in Romans 1 how the lusts of their hearts are given to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. And that's precisely what happens when a nation says no to God. God, we don't want you. We don't want you in our schools. That's the government school system. No prayer, no Bible reading, no Ten Commandments on the walls. Teach evolution. That's what they're being taught. They're taught that we've been germinated from out of the glue into the zoo. That became you, that you're some sophisticated monkey. That is evil beyond evil. And that's why they're teaching transgenderism, yes, in Beaufort County. And yes, the, presidents of the, the president of the United States this past week reminded us that the lunch program, the breakfast program that children are being fed all across America will be held hostage this fall unless they implement his transgender policies. Boys being able to use girls' restrooms, girls being able to use boys' restrooms, locker rooms. And as best I can tell, there are 266,000 children in the state of South Carolina that will come under this policy. This is the evil of our day. And we need to be paying attention and not be stupid. And so we rejected God and God gave us over to sexual impurity. And so the internet is dominated by millions and millions of immoral pornographic websites to feed people's insatiable fallen lusts. And it's resulting in the destruction of marriages and sexual immorality. Look at verse 26, step two. For this reason, for what reason? For the reason Paul just gave in verse 25, that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the unnatural function for that which is unnatural. That's lesbianism. And I think it's interesting that the Spirit of God first speaks of the degradation of women because they're usually the last to go. Women have been given a certain mothering instinct, a certain protective instinct over their own children. But under the wrath of abandonment, women are given over notice here to degrading passions. In further and in the same way also, the men abandon the natural function of the women and burn in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. That's homosexuality. Homosexuality now officially sanctioned by the Supreme Court of the United States, where we've gone in 2010 from 40% of Americans approving it to, in 2022, 75% of Americans saying it's okay. And 31% of Generation Z say they are LGBTQIA+, whatever it is. And so in a society embraces adultery, lesbianism, homosexuality as a way of life, they are in deep trouble. The third step, verse 28, and just as they did not see the fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved, an adakimikos. Uh, it's an interesting word. The word dakimos is a word that is used to refer to a metal that is tested and it is proven pure. Adakimos, 
You put the alpha in front of it, it changes it. He's describing something that is not pure, something that is depraved. Some translations say reprobate, useless. The Russian Bible says an upside-down mind. The mind that considers God as worthless. And a mind that considers God as worthless will itself become worthless. And that's what we are seeing. And so God begins to unfold in stage three. 21 vices in verses 29 to 32 that could be a commentary on the day that we are living in. It is really scary when you look at it. And we're wondering, what do we do with all this violence in America? Pass more laws? Mm -mm, You can't pass enough laws. These are issues of the heart. These are issues of a godless generation. And we have these teachers in our government school that are polluting the minds of little children, damaging their consciences with evil by saying good is evil and evil is good. My friends, the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. And Jesus makes it clear that there's a direct correlation between his second coming and the days that led up to the flood. And so we have innocent children both before and after birth being exterminated. We have this transgender homosexual lifestyle as being accepted as normal. And this is men like a a molder. And again, that's what the word is used of, this word imagination there. They're molding, they're shaping ideologies that are contrary to God. And you haven't even seen the start of it because indeed it will be continually evil after the church is removed. We'll speak about this next week. And the restraining influence of the Spirit of God is gone. And so Noah lived in days of gross apostasy. He lived in days of godless anarchy. Third, Noah lived in days of great apathy. In days of great apathy. God did not want to destroy man. God wanted man to repent, which is why we read in Genesis 6 and verse 3, then the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. This verse informs me that God's striving with man just as he was striving with man in in our day. God is working. God is pulling. God is tugging on some of you listening today to make a decision for Jesus. It is sad, but there are people across the world who think they are born again, and they are in for the greatest shock that is coming when Jesus will say, I never knew you. If he's striving with you today, you had better listen. And if you've never received Jesus, you should listen. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. God is not saying you'll live to 120 years. He's saying, I'm going to give man 120 years more and then it's up. Now think about this. We learned something in the New Testament. On Genesis, we have some divine commentary I think you could assume it to be true, but God explicitly says it's true in the New Testament that Noah was, quote, 2 Peter 2, 5, put it out in the margin, a preacher of righteousness. In other words, all the time while Noah was building that ark, God was not 
hiding his intentions, he was warning men. And how did people respond? Well, they yawned over his sermons. Only eight persons on the day the great flood came were saved. Noah, Mrs. Noah, their three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their three wives. The Bible says eight persons in all. There was a whole generation that was swallowed up by their apathy. And of course, this is what Jesus underscored in Matthew chapter 24. Let me read it to you. Matthew 24, you can turn there if you wish, beginning in verse 37. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So in the same way that the people in Noah's day were taken away in the judgment of the flood, so they will be taken away when Christ comes back. Look at verse 40. Then there shall be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Now the illustration in his parable is straightforward in both examples. There will be a separation such that one individual will be taken and the other individual will be left behind. And the context is clear that the one, one individual is a believer and the other individual is an unbeliever. So the question related to this passage is who is taken and who is left behind? That is to say, is the believer taken and the unbeliever left behind or vice versa? Well, if you get your theology from a book that Hal Lindsey wrote, it wasn't all bad, but there was a lot of error in it. He went to the same seminar. I went, look, when someone's been married five times, you should question their theology right off. Not to mention, there was a popular song that Larry Norman wrote. He said, a man in the 1970s, I still have it beaming through my head because they made a movie out of it. And a man and wife asleep in bed, she hears a noise and turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill, one disappears and one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. Now, it is true that at the rapture, there will be two people together. One will be taken and one will be left. But that's not what's in view here. Contextually, the Lord has underscored in verses 36 through 39, those who were prepared in the days of Noah and those who were not prepared. The emphasis is on unbelievers who are taken away in the flood. Two classes of people were alive in Noah's day. Those who were unbelieving and swept away in divine judgment and those like Noah who were left and were not destroyed. In verse 39 underscores, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Even so, at the second coming, unbelievers will be taken away in the day of judgment and wrath and those left on the earth to receive and enjoy the blessings of the coming kingdom will be believers. Tribulation saints who survive the great tribulation, not to mention resurrections, uh, Old Testament saints who are resurrected then, and church saints who come back with Christ to rule and reign. And so just as Noah entered into a brand new world after the flood, during the millennial reign of the Messiah, we will go into a revitalized, reconstinated world. And Luke 17 underscores it this way. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. And answering, they said to him, where, Lord? Where, Lord? Don't miss that. Where, Lord? And he said to them, where the body is, 
there also the vultures will be gathered. I mentioned to you last week, we live in a state where vultures are everywhere. It's kind of neat. I love to watch them fly high in the sky and see their beautiful wingspan. Some people hate them. Look, they're God's garbage cans. They keep things clean around here. In either case, uh, just as the body causes vultures to gather, so spiritually dead people are consigned and disqualified from the coming kingdom. Now, we'll discuss that further when we come to the Olivet Discourse. But what I want you to see is that the second coming, those who are left behind are believers. Those who are carried away in judgment are unbelievers. Now, it's just the opposite of the rapture. Those who are caught up are believers. Those who are left behind are unbelievers. So you don't want to be left behind in the rapture. If you were a tribulation saint, none of you will be able to be because you've heard the gospel before the tribulation. If you don't believe it before the rapture, you'll believe what's false. But the people who will want indeed to be left behind at the second coming are tribulation saints. So here's the point. They were eating, drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage just as if nothing had ever happened. And again, contrary to popular commentary that this is a reference to drunkenness and divorce. He's not speaking of that. Listen to the parallel passage, Luke 17. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. There it is again, eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. What does that mean? Well, Jesus then adds, it will be the same on the day the Son of Man will be revealed. In other words, the parallel here is clear. Right up until the very day the flood came, people were carrying on as if everything were normal. They were enjoying their food, their drink, they were giving their children away in marriage, they were buying, they were selling, they were planning, they were building. But in spite of the preaching of Noah, they just yawned at his sermons ignored the warning that he gave. They were just as sure that tomorrow would come as today was very much as alive. But this was a people who were living in gross apostasy and godless anarchy and indeed in great apathy. And in the final analysis we read here in Genesis 6 and verse 6, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor, or you could render it grace, in the eyes of the Lord. Noah is a breath of fresh air in the midst of all this judgment. Now, if Jesus said there's a parallel between Noah's day and our day, what lessons can we learn? Three lessons I want you to underscore in your thinking this morning. Number one, I know I'm ready for Jesus' return if I'm not being shaped by the culture. I know I am ready for his return if the culture is not shaping me. Now, I know that the environment of the last days is going to be evil because God tells us. And I hope you know that as we approach the end of the age, things are not going to get better. Things are going to get worse. You say you're a pessimist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a biblicist. I'm a realist. That's precisely what God says. That ultimately as Christians, we will have more and more and more people who will oppose our value system. 
And the two camps will become more and more clearly divided. Again, Jesus said, most people's love will grow cold. He's describing, we'll look at this verse next week, contextually believers. The love of most believers will grow cold. And so they will rationalize their behavior and their sin and adopt the ways of the world. Now listen, like Noah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I remember back in 1977, I had been a believer for just a couple of years, and I did my very first in-depth study on Bible prophecy. And the more I read and studied what God said about the future days, I was motivated to follow him. And by the way, that's what a balanced study of Bible prophecy does. Listen to these words in 1 John 3, 3. And everyone who has this hope, the hope of Jesus' return, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. I think I had a sense maybe of what Noah had felt as God revealed to him the impending judgment that was coming on the wicked generation in which he lived. And I said, Lord, if no one else wants to honor the Lord, say, I want to. If no one else wants to keep their mind pure, I want to. If no one else wants to read and study the word of God, I want to. If no one else wants to tie to the local church, I want to. If no one else wants to win people to Jesus, I want to. God, I want to obey you. I want to walk with you. And that's what a right study of Bible prophecy will do to your heart. Let me ask you, what is the driving passion of your heart this morning? See, Noah gave his full attention to the things of God. Surely he still had to farm and feed his family and have a regular job. But the rest of his time, he spent in the construction of the ark that was like an ocean liner. And all the while they are marrying, they were being given marriage, they were buying, they were planning, they were building their houses. The rest of the world was living high off the hog. And I imagine they thought Noah was a fool, that he was different, that he was not normal. Some of the young teenagers have been telling me of the opposition that they face, that they're viewed as not normal. Yes, you can expect it, but blessed are you when men persecute you. He took his time, talent, and treasure, and he built a boat that wouldn't even float. But there was a turning point. When all the real estate that men had was not very real because it was covered up in water, all their money was absolutely useless. They lost everything they owned, but what did Noah lose? He didn't lose anything. He gained it all. He walked into a brand new world, as Psalm 37 in the Sermon on the Mount teaches, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You don't worry if you're using your time, talent, and treasure for things that matter, if you're living a holy life, if you're here in the Lord's day, and some of you are still watching me on TV because you're lazy and disobedient. I'm not talking about the dear precious mom who's home with those sick kids or someone who has some unusual immune system. I'm talking about disobedient Christians. You need to be here with the people of God where God inhabits the praises of his people. Join us next week for part three and the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled Noah's Day and Jesus' Return. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478. 
and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 005. Don't forget that tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife Audrey is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. You can hear more of Audrey's messages on the Search the Scriptures app found on the iTunes and Google Play Store. Also, check out Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real, on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. You can also listen to her podcast at searchthescriptures.org. We hope that you will join us next week as we continue to search the scriptures.